Today we speak of solutions because everybody in their life at one intersection or another finds this challenge, this hurdle, this dilemma. It may be an easy thing. It may be something that's an everyday thing. For example, I am just not a fix-it guy. I, I, when things break around the house, I call somebody. I've probably called some of you. Say, hey, this is happening. I, every time I go to fix it, it gets worse. And so I, but there, there are times, especially I think as a man, I want to, I want to be able to do something, you know, like, um, like figure out the mystery of changing a fluorescent bulb. It's just crazy. You know, you go to, you go to, I'm like, how does this stupid thing work? Does anybody else have this problem? Huh? Anybody? Yes. Uh, let me rephrase it. Any men have this problem? I don't see one hand. Oh, yeah, well, you're chumps. How about that? Uh, it's just a mystery to me. Like, I can't get it. Uh, anyway, so I I uh, was going to change my windshield wipers. Normally, I go to my mechanic and I say, hey, why don't you, you know, you take care of it. I'll pay the extra. You do it. But this time I thought, hey, I'm just going to I'm gonna do it on my own just a few weeks ago. And so I I'm, I'm go to the auto parts store and I you know, ask the guy to help me pick it out. Here's the model of car and everything. And so I, I think this has got to be easy, you know, that you, you, you flap the thing up and you zip, just zip it off and zip, zip the next one in, right? And so um, I, I'm out there and I'm with my son. That makes it worse because we're you know, supposed to, as dads, know everything. And so I'm like, hey, I'm just going to show him, you know, how to fix things. My dad didn't do a great job of that. And so I'm out there and I'm just, you know, give it a little tug and, and then nope, nothing's moving. And then, you know, then finally you work it up to where you're trembling. You know what I mean? Like you're like, and then you're like, then you get angry and you're like, I'll just break it and blame it on the oldness of the car. And, uh, yeah, and so finally I just couldn't. So I phone a friend. Um, my friend Joel is, uh, you know, he knows every, he's the kind of guy that lifts the old engine out and works on it and puts a new one in. That's just, way I will, that's not even on my bucket list <laughs> that's just not going to happen right so i'm like hey you know i'm stuck out here and of course it was a it was a private conversation not in front of your son or anything just hey i'm just gonna i'm gonna call a friend he may help me out i'm like uh over here trying to change my windshield wiper you know and he said well see steve the deal is that there's this little hook on the end of that thing and the more you're pulling against because you're in the hook and the more you pull this way it's just gonna it's not gonna work you, you're work you're actually working against the mechanism and you need to pull toward the car, which was like totally stupid. I don't know who, who made those things. It's, totally, it's against logic of any kind and pull it. And, but at that moment, it's the, that's the deal. At that moment, when you have this dilemma and it's like, pop, it came out. There's something in that moment that's exhilarating. Like it worked. Something actually worked that I try to fix this dilemma. And I've, I've found a solution to it. And and then I but then I couldn't get it back on, so then I had to call him again to you know how to figure out to get it on and everything. Then I think about people that, you know, like the inventor of the light bulb. How many failures, right? I, historically, just hundreds and hundreds of failures to to get to. But in that moment, wouldn't you have loved to have been in the room where the the thing lit up for the first time, and like wow, oh, it was just a, that amazing sense of like we had this dilemma, but now we have a solution. And when you think about this uh, history, we have, as human beings, resolved a lot of dilemmas. Transportation, good grief. It used to be, you know, if you wanted to go to the mission field, you hopped on a boat and it took two or three months and not everybody survived. 
but now we've got solutions to travel. We've got solutions to, to communication. We have solutions to, to medical things. We can do organ transplants. We can do amazing things, uh, uh, record blood pressure, just a lot of things that we couldn't do. And yet as human beings, we all know that, that of all these marvelous solutions to dilemmas across the, the, the timeline of history, we still face dilemmas of monumental levels. There are people in this world, hundreds of millions of people that don't have drinkable water. There are, there, there are millions of people who are dying of preventable disease. There are people, we have not, we have not yet conquered cancer. We have not conquered HIV. There, there are these monumental dilemmas. And I have hope, as you do, that as time travels, we'll figure out more solutions to some of these insurmountable problems or seemingly insurmountable problems. And yet when we come to, we look at all of those, those issues, those dilemmas that we face, whether it's cancer or, or undrinkable water or, or hunger or terrorism or any of those things that just seem like, wow, how would we ever resolve this? That at the end of the day, the worst that can happen from all of those human dilemmas is death. In other words, if it's cancer or it's terrorism or it's undrinkable water, that the worst that can happen is that we physically die. But we recognize that this life is not just physical life, it's also spiritual life. And the proposal that the Bible makes to us is that of all those dilemmas that we face in the physical realm, that there is a spiritual dilemma. And I'm going to call it this morning, The Great Dilemma, capital G, capital D, like The Great Depression. And that great dilemma towers miles above the highest physical dilemma. There is a dilemma that we face as spiritual beings because we are spiritual and physical beings. There is a dilemma, the great dilemma of the, the human existence that is so far more grave and serious than any physical dilemma that we can face. We begin today by looking in the scripture and in, in the writings of a man who was deemed to be the wisest man, Solomon, on all of the earth in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20. And we begin by the, looking at this dilemma and these are the words that, that Solomon Pens. He said, there is not a righteous man or woman on earth who does what is right and never sins. This is the beginning of the great dilemma. The great dilemma is that we're all sinners. Now, that's not a popular word anymore these days. We take sometimes to say that we, we take the perspective that, oh, it's all relative. It's not relative. A sin is a transgression and offense to to God. And therefore, the Bible gives to us this sense of being absolute. And I believe that it is not, uh, it is tempting to not want to talk about the great dilemma in our culture, to talk with people about sin because we're afraid that we might offend them. It is my proposal that God speaks to us about sin and we should speak to others about sin because not only is there a great dilemma, but there's a great solution. And unless we talk about the dilemma of anything, we won't even seek a solution. If your oncologist 
is too afraid that he or she will offend you by telling you that you have cancer and doesn't tell you that you have cancer, then you won't seek a solution to that cancer. And therefore, even though on the surface, the oncologist may look like he or she is being nice, at the end, that person is being very unnice, very unkind, very unfair not to give you the full report. So the Bible doesn't hold back, and neither will I. The dilemma starts this way, that all of us are in the predicament, a great predicament, a great dilemma that we're all sinners. So you may say, well, good. I'm glad we're all that way. I'm glad that we're, you know, we're all, uh, have this, this illness called sin because then we're off the hook. That's like somebody having a, a bad cold. I was, I saw somebody sitting right behind me this morning, a bad cold. I become very antisocial when people have colds. Uh, and, and maybe you already know that because, you know, maybe you've had a cold and you, uh, I don't want to shake your hand. I don't want to come within 10 feet of you because I hate being sick. Don't you? And so I, when I, you know, it kills me when I hug somebody. I'm like, Hey, how's your week? <laughs> Oh man, it's been terrible. Like, oh, I feel like I, you know we need to put a shower here or something in the in the church building for Steve. But see, if I have a cold and you have a cold, let's hug. Not a problem. We're both sick. We're both in, in, infected. We're hey, let's let it let it rip, right? So I feel that way in our family. When our kids get sick, I'm like, we're going to get sick, right? That's just the way it works in families. Your kids get sick, you get sick. Everybody hug. Let's kiss. We're always going to get sick. And so when you look at this, you think, well, okay, then no big deal because we're all sinners. Not so fast. It gets worse. The great dilemma is that not only are we all sick with sin, but there is a consequence to sin that is worse than physical death. You see, death is separation. My father, as many of you know, is no longer living. There's a separation. I don't get to have lunch with him. I don't get to talk to him on the phone. I don't get to smell his cologne or touch his, his windbreaker jacket like I used to. And the, there, there's a separation. What the Bible says to us is clearly these words. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 20, the soul who sins is the one who will die. In other words, because we're sinners, we are separated from God. And some may say, that's fine. I'm going to live my life without God. Well, you're missing one of the most beautiful dimensions in life, not being in rhythm and connected with God on this earth. But beyond that, this lifetime, which only lasts eight to nine decades, maybe ten at most, is just a drop in the thimble compared to what comes in the afterlife, if you so believe it. If you believe in the afterlife, it's not 80 or 90 years. It's 80 or 90 years times a trillion times a jillion times a gajillion. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And what we're told in the scriptures is that because of our sin, it creates a separation from God. And if we don't bridge that gap, that separation with God on this earth, then we will spend an eternity away from God forever and ever and ever and ever. And when you look at that dilemma, would you agree that it's much greater than being killed by a bomb from a terrorist or dying from cancer? That is a much greater Dilemma. You say, I don't believe it. I pray to God that he'll open your eyes that you would. Because listen, you at least owe it some attention, some serious attention and serious thought. I'm shocked these days when I talk to people about eternity and they haven't given it much thought. And yet 
they are insured to the hilt. They're insured with your home, insured with your medical, insured for life insurance, but not for eternal life insurance. We owe it, even if you would say, I don't buy into that. You at least owe it to study and to read and open. I didn't believe it either until someone said, you ought to check out the Bible. And when I did, something supernatural happened. God began to break down my walls with his truth. That's the way he works. Just be open to it. Not only that, the dilemma gets worse. Oh, happy Mother's Day, by the way. It's beautiful, isn't it? There's good news coming, uh, just so you know. Not only is there a dilemma that we're all sinners and the consequence is eternal separation from God, but here's the other thing. No matter how we try as human beings, not one single one of us can make it better. You see, there's a lot of things. I, I make a lot of things for my children better. Dad, I'm cold. I'll get a blanket. Dad, I'm hot. I'll cut the air condition down. Dad, I'm hungry. Great. I'll go to the fridge and get you something. I can fix a lot of those problems. No human being can fix the great dilemma. Here's what we're told in the scripture in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts, even the great things we do, are like filthy rags to God. How good do you have to be in order to get into heaven? Does it, does it, is it okay to get a B plus? Can you be as good, can, can Mother Teresa get in heaven? But here's the problem. I'm a fanatic, uh, an avid fan of Billy Graham. In fact, my first son, his middle name is Graham because I was, I came to Christ through Billy Graham's ministry. And Billy Graham, who is who is viewed as one of the spiritual giants of our culture, I've heard him say 150 times, I am a sinner, so he can't help us out. I've heard Mother Teresa say a lot, I am a sinner, she can't help us out. There is no human being that can help bring the solution to the great dilemma because all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags to God. They don't count. So not only are... Are we all sinners? Not only is there eternal consequence, not only no one can help us out, but here's where Mother's Day comes in. Every person born of their mother is comes out because of, 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 the, of the mom as a sinner. In other words, the problem is that we keep perpetuating the problem because the blood of Adam infected all the blood of every human being. Like, what do you mean by that? David says it very clearly in Psalm 51 and verse 5. One of the most profound verses in the scripture. David says this. Surely I was sinful at birth. You see, being a sinner is not because I did something wrong. David is telling us something profound. I was born a sinner. Some people say I'm a sinner because I sin. No, it's the other way around. It's a profound distinction. I sin because I'm a sinner. Nobody had to tell my two-year-old when he was two-year-old how to sin. There was no manual. There's no uh, how to sin for dummies book. You, you get it right away, right? 
My, my children just know and instinctively know. Well, how come? Because they were born infected from sin from the birth. So, so, uh, David says, in the labor room, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Thanks a lot, moms. Happy Mother's Day. That's just, there it is right there. The Mother's Day message just for you. It's your fault. <laughs> Kidding. Job 14.4, who can bring what is pure from the impure? We just keep perpetuating the problem because we're being, we're impure people because we're born from impure um, mothers and fathers. In Job 25, verse 4, how then can a man be righteous before God? How can one born of a woman be pure? The answer is we cannot. So even if we, even if we, we look at these things, what, when, the picture that I get, is that we're all out in the sea, 300 miles from the shore in the Atlantic Ocean. And you, you, you recognize that when someone is drowning, that if there's a person beside you is drowning, that that person, you can't help each other out. You're both stuck. There, there, is, there is no solution in sight. When I read these scriptures and we begin with the bad news first before we get to the good news, we look at the dilemma like, wow, we are in a mess. And if that, the, the harshness of that dilemma hasn't hit you, even as a believer in Christ, you will be, have less of an urge to tell anyone else the good news. If that dilemma hasn't hit you as someone searching for God, you won't search for God hard enough. This happy-go-lucky rock band musician, when I opened the scriptures and God struck my heart with a dilemma, I wept for days. I never wept. Ever. But God can do that. And he can change your heart and your mind by going to the depth of your inner being like no other person can. I don't know if you've ever been in in that kind of a scenario where you just feel stuck and you can't get out of it. Have you, have you ever, you know, maybe you've been stuck in a car, maybe you've been locked out or you, that, that feeling is awful. I've told some of you this story. I, I just, I hate the beach. Isn't that weird? I live in a beach town and I, I'm not a beach guy. Now, if I like driving by it, I like if I'm fully clothed and it's, it's sunset, I'll walk out there, but the sand and everything, God has gifted me with extra fur. Uh, and so, um, that, you know, the sun, um, lotion stuff, you know, and all that stuff, uh, man, I just can't stand it. And, and, uh, so my wife has all the varieties of it. You know, she's got the thing that looks like roll on deodorant, but you're rolling it on your face which makes no sense and you know the edges of your ears and then you get all that and then the spray the spray stuff is the worst don't you it comes out like ice cold and and then it's like your hair is brittle and and then and then so then you're wet and you're walking you know in the sand like that and then the wind blows and then this you get sand on you're like like a walking piece of sandpaper i'm like is this fun are we having fun and it's hot like an oven out here i'll tell you what fun is Fun is a Starbucks or a coffee, pardon me, uh, out and about coffee and in an air-conditioned place with a big fluffy chair. That's what fun is for me. Not not out there sweltering with bristles. Anyway. But I do like Sarasota, by the way. It's just not. So what I do, my solution to that dilemma is that I, I like to get those uh, those shirts that are SPF shirts, you know, is that what it's called? Or, you know, where it blocks out the sun, right? And so, um, so, uh, a few years ago, I was, 
I was thought, hey, I'm going to, I need one of those shirts, you know, so because we're going to go to the beach. And so uh, I was with my family, my wife, my two kids, and, and I saw this little shop on 41. And I said, hey, guys, I'm going to just pop in here and, and look at a at a, one of those shirts, those sun shirts. And so I walked in. They, I left them in the car, and I think I'm just going to pop in and go in. So I saw this shirt and on the rack. And I don't know about you, but spandex, uh, <laughs> it looks different on the hanger than it does on your body. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? Like, especially after you're 40, it doesn't look as good on your body as it does. So at any rate, but I saw this. I saw this this shirt with spandex, and um, and so I I I, I looked at it, and it, and it also I think your ego kicks in when it comes to spandex. Like I can fit in that. I'm pretty sure that's going to look good on me. This was a really it was a small store, and it had like the the one dressing room and like the old saloon doors, you know, that only go down to your knee. Like who invented that? Honestly, a dressing room that you can see people's, you know, legs from the bottom. But it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty out there. And so, anyway, so I went in. I was going to put this, try this shirt on, and I, so I, I, you know, I, I put it on. And as soon as I got it over my head, I'm like, you know, you have got that uh oh feel. And so I, I, I got it, you know, I just barely got it around my shoulders, and I'm like, wow, this seems a little tight, you know. It's like if anybody went in the room, I'm like, yeah, you're a moron, of course it is. So, anyway, but I, I took a full throttle. I was going to try it on, you know. So I got about mid, mid chest, and now I'm kind of forcing it down, you know, like, like that, you know. And finally, ah, got it on. I'm like, nope, that's not going to work. I'm not going out in public with that sucker on. And so now it's time to get it off. Now keep in mind, it's a very small store, saloon door, see my legs, see the whole nine yards. You see where I'm going with this? It was like a caged rabbit raccoon and a... <laughs> so I, I couldn't get it off. And honestly, I just started sweating profusely. And I could only like, I'm like, what am I going to do? And then I, I remember falling <laughs> up against the door. Oh yeah, you know the you know the clerk must have thought, what is going on in there, right? I think that's I I feel like that's what it feels like to be caught in this dilemma. It's awful. And by the way, then I when I finally got it off, you know, I I, I put it back on the coat hanger, and lo and behold, man, there's some pretty pretty vivid deodorant marks on there. I'm just being honest with you. You know, I might as well just lay it out there. And the confession is, I did spit on the shirt. You know, I'm strong like. <laughs> and then, of course, they ask you, is that going to work for you? No, I'm going to, I'll be back. Uh, you know, hey, you know, woo. Get out in the car, sweating profusely. My wife's like, are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. It's all good. Yeah. How was it? No, it didn't work in the wrong color. You know, you're not, a man doesn't confess these things. Can you imagine, can you imagine what Jonah felt like when he was thrown into the deep? He didn't take that dilemma lightly. And neither would us, any of us, if we recognized the steep end of being away from God. He didn't say, oh, hey God, I'm kind of bobbing out there. I promise you, I promise you, 
He was screaming, God, please. Because there there wasn't a remedy in sight. He said these words in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3. I was hurled into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me, and all your waves, God, and your breakers, they swept over me. This is the great dilemma of the human race as we all float in the sea of sin, separated from God, headed toward an eternity away from Him forever and ever and ever, and there's no one who can help us, and we keep perpetuating it through birth. It seems that it's hopeless and powerless, but it's not. And this is the good news, that God is always a rescuer, always has been since the Garden of Eden. He came to rescue that day when Adam had stepped off the line. That's the great news. Last week, we began a conversation about the Passover, because in the Passover story, what we see are these vivid, beautiful, profound pictures of the rescue and the remedy of Christ. For those of you that are not familiar with the Passover, in a nutshell, judgment was coming over the land of Egypt in which Israel were living at the time. The people of Israel were living at the time, and they were caught as slaves. God was about to bring judgment, but God said, here's how you're going to escape judgment. I want you to take a lamb, and I want you to slaughter that lamb and take the blood of that lamb and paint it on the doorposts of your home. And when death moves over and the deliverer of death moves over and sees that blood on the post of your home, then I will pass over that home. Now, anybody as an initial read on that story would be freaked out. Like, wow, are you talking about like you killed a a lamb and you took the blood It seems like a pretty gory story, only because of our viewpoint of blood. When we see blood, we think, "Uh uh-oh, something's going on. But if you look at blood from another point of view, the blood is actually a precious commodity to the human uh, uh, existence, to our body. Blood is that thing, that life-giving thing that travels through our body that, that just gives us life. You can live without a limb. You can live without a kidney. You can live without a lot of things, but you can't live without blood. And right from the beginning, our creator who understands biology at the end to the nth degree understood that, that this, this precious commodity that he put in us would also bring us life. And so what happens at that beginning, it was a very beginning just to give you a context of the timeline. This was Exodus chapter 12 that the, that the Passover was introduced. It's not until Exodus chapter 20 when the law is introduced. And here's the reason I bring that up. This was the first picture for us that God was saying, I want you to bring an animal because an animal doesn't have a soul. As much as we love animals and all those things, an animal doesn't have a soul. So God in his brilliance was able to transfer the judgment, the penalty of death that we deserved because we're sinners over to an animal who would not suffer eternal consequences. And by the slaughtering and the sacrifice of that animal, instead of us paying the penalty, the penalty was transferred over to the animal. It was a brilliant plan. The problem was that it was a temporary plan. But in this picture that we see today, we're going to zero in 
on a, a profoundly brilliant and beautiful dimension of God's story. Watch this. Travel with me. Now, let me, let me tell you in advance. If you left your thinking cap in the car, you run and get it because it's going to re- require some thinking. I will say out loud to you that I've had my feel, Phil, that's uh, southern for Phil, <laughs> and I'm fatigued by us taking as Christians the message of the Scripture and dumbing it down. We must love God with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and our what? Our mind. Let's think, shall we? Let's use our minds. I think about certain things in life. I've spent so many hours in my mind thinking about Beethoven and Rachmaninoff and Bach. I owe God the same. I owe God the same effort. If you're here today and you're searching for God and you think you've made your mind up, give him a shot. Give him all of your mind and allow your mind to focus in on who he is. It's going to require some thinking. Watch this. Here's how the, the, one of the requirements of the Passover lamb. When God told the people, I want you to bring a lamb, not just any lamb, but a specific lamb. Watch this. Exodus chapter 12, where we find the Passover story in verse 5. The animals that you choose must be, not should be, could be, would be, must be, year-old males without defect. Now, I know some of you say defect, but I was born in the South, so I'm sticking with defect. (laughs) They can't be without any flaw. And they must be a male, and they must be a year old. Now, you, like me, probably don't know all that much about lambs, but I study for, obviously, our time together. And it's interesting that you would think, well, why would it be a year old? Because in the life of a lamb, that is the apex of their life, the prime of their life. In other words, God is saying, I want the very best, that when a lamb becomes a year old, it's now considered an adult. And they, when, when they were going to slaughter a lamb and they were going to use it for their own food, that was the prime time to sacrifice, to kill a lamb. I want it to be male. I want it to be at the prime, one year old. And I also need it to be without any flaw. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be w- with no def- defect. Now, as you look in the, to the law, Moses came down from the mountain in Exodus chapter 20. And from that point on, they set up this sacrificial system whereby an animal was sacrificed instead of a human being. And in every case, whether it was a bull or a goat, God said the same thing. I want it to be a male and I want it to be without a flaw. It has to be without a flaw. Not only that, just a few verses later in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46, God adds this detail to the painting. Not only should you choose a year old male without defect, but in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 46, when you sacrifice this prime lamb that without defect, make sure you don't break its legs. Is anyone seeing a picture? You might remember, if you know the Bible, that Christ was on the cross. And the soldiers came to expedite the death because the day was getting on. And and someone said, don't break the legs. He's already died. But don't break the legs. 
You see, here is the depth of God's love for you. God would never just spring up a religious leader to take care of the great dilemma without giving each of us thousands of years of pictures. So by the time the great solution came to the great dilemma, we would all say, oh, of course, there he is. God would never take the great dilemma so lightly as to not give us a ramp up into the solution. The solution, my friends, as you may understand, of course, where I'm going, is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was given by God. God gave us a male. And God gave us a male in his prime. He gave us the prime sacrifice, his son. And Christ, when he was 30 years old, and his, and he became in the strength of his life, not when he was 80, not when he was 90, not when he was 65, but in the strength of his life, God offered to him as the great solution to the great dilemma in our life. You may say, well, how did that happen? Because he was just like any other human being. Think again. He was not. Now, this is where we put our thinking caps on. We turn to one of the more profound books in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 2, the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is this wonderful book that gives us a look back and say, here's what was going on. Now, to make it even more complex, I specifically chose the King James Version for this verse (laughs) because I believe that sometimes some of the older versions, they capture, they don't lose language as we have sometimes in the newer translations. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Watch this. Watch this. For as much then as the children, he's talking about us, are partakers of Adam's flesh and blood. That's part of the dilemma. We inherited sin from Adam. For as much then as the children, us, are partakers of Adam's flesh and blood, Christ also himself likewise took part of the same. Now, when you're reading that face value, you think, okay, that means that he was just like us That's not exactly true. This is where I'm going to give a little commercial for studying the Bible. Now, you're going to, what I'm about to do, I'm going to look at some of the original language and like, well, Steve is so smart. I, I really am truly not any smarter than, than, than you guys. People ask me, how do you study the Bible? Honestly, I start with Google. Isn't that crazy? I start by looking at articles and saying, hey, Christ crucifixion, Bible verses. And then I use this monster Bible study that you can buy, anybody can buy, but you can begin to study. But here's why I say this. I hate when, I hate when people are ripped off from things, don't you? Like when somebody doesn't give you the full deal and they rip you off. Man, I really feel that with Christians and Bible study. It's in the Bible study that when you're studying, you're going through and you're in a Bible, it's, those are the wowza moments. You know, we're like, wowza, that's amazing. I know you can be uh, wild by when somebody tells you, but when you're studying, God opens up things. I just can't encourage you enough to just don't treat the Bible like a 10 minute devotional. Dig in, get in, get in. And if you want to know how to do that, I'll talk to you more than you want me to talk to you about it. There, there are ways to study, but watch this. I'm saying that just don't, don't be wild by like, oh, that's, you know, uh, Steve brings us to, no, this this is, this is out there for everybody. Now, when you look at that, for as much then as the children are partakers of, of the flesh and Christ himself always, when you look at those words, here's the writer was trying to say, let me tell you, there's a difference. 
He could have said the same word, but watch. So he says, for much as us, we're partakers of Adam's flesh. That word is konyoneho, which means to share fully. We share fully in Adam's flesh and blood. And he could have said, and Christ himself always also took konyoneho, uh, a full uh, a full uh, share of what we took, but he didn't. He, he used a different word in, on purpose and said Christ also himself likewise took part of the same, which means only a part, metecho, which means he just had a part of it, not all of it. Okay, where am I getting at? Here's where you, let me, don't, let me lose you here. You, use your minds. What the writer is saying is something profoundly true and brilliant. That all of us fully share in Adam's mess. But Christ only shared in part of Adam's mess because if Adam were born, if Christ were born just like the rest of us, he would have been born a sinner. He would have been a lamb with defect. He would have been part of the ocean that we're in and he could not have saved us any more than any one of us can save each other. What the writer is saying here is that we fully share in Adam's flesh and blood but Christ only shared in the flesh, but not the blood. Whoa, I'm tired. <laughs> That's a lot, right? I know it's heavy. I know this is not a typical Sunday morning, rah, rah, uh, you know, get, get it going. But we must think. It's important. It's important that you know the story to a depth of beauty, honestly. And so when you look at this, you think, well, why, why didn't Christ come just as a spiritual angel? Because he had to, it's so brilliant. He had to become a human so that he were tempted in all ways so that he could empathize with us. If he were just a spiritual being, like an angel with no temptation to, to fall, then he wouldn't get us. Not only that, he became a human so that he, that, so that as a human being in human form, he died and crossed the gate of death and he came back. If that were an angel, you know what we would say? Big deal. I wouldn't be comforted at all, but we know that Christ in his human form, he died a physical death. He rose a physical death and in his human form, he came back from the dead. And for us, that says that death is conquered. He had to come as part of us, but he couldn't come as all of us. Woo! I find that brilliant. In other words, he had to be part of the ocean, but he couldn't be part of the ocean. Now you figure that out. I can't even get a darn windshield wiper off. I'm glad it was God's problem to resolve and not Steve's. And so should you be. Now watch this. Hebrews chapter 2, the very next verse. Christ shared in our humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He's taken that way because he came as a human being. All right. Here's where it gets really great. How was it then that Christ could come in human form and not be infected with Adam's blood? How does that happen? Watch Acts chapter 17, verse 26. God has made of one blood 
all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. That's the dilemma, that we're all part of Adam's blood. How would God get around the blood of Adam? The only way possible was to bypass the bloodline of Adam and have a virgin birth. Steve, do you believe in the virgin birth? I don't believe in the virgin birth. I must believe in the virgin birth. It's not just a Christmas story that's enchanting. It's the brilliance of the plan of how Christ arrived that God said, I'm going to, I'm going to put in this virgin, I'm going to bypass Adam's blood, but he's got to be a human, but he can't be fully in the human bloodline. So I'm going to place in the, in, in, in the woman and I'm going to use that sacred space and bypass the blood. Woo! I'm only mildly excited about it, as I can tell you are. The great interviewer, Larry King, interviewed rock stars, movie stars, presidents, all through, through, through decades. He was asked this question when he himself were interviewed. If you could interview one person in all of history, Larry, who was a Jewish man, by the way, if you could interview one man, and all of history, Larry, who would it be? Didn't think twice. Jesus Christ. That's what he said. And it, Larry, if you were interviewing, the next question, if you were interviewing Jesus Christ, what would you ask him if you only had one question? Here's what Larry said. I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born, the answer to that question would define history for me. As it has defined history for every human being on the planet because we had one who was willing to swim in the sea with us but not in the sea of sin who was willing to who was able to save us from our drowning you fully know that if you're going to help somebody drown you can't be fully in the water with them right because you're going to drown too Christ had to have both of those now watch this back to Hebrews chapter 10 as we close down here Year after year after year after year, once God initiated this system like we're going to uh, sacrifice to kill a bull or a goat, and it's got to be without defect, year after year after year, the people did this. Well, if they could, if it took care of everything, why'd they have to do it over and over? They have to keep doing it over and over and over and over because it was temporary and it didn't take the sins, our sins away. It only substituted and paid the penalty. Watch this. Hebrews 10.1. The law, that's the system of all this sacrifice I'm talking about, is only a shadow. It wasn't even the real deal. It was a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. God would say, this Passover lamb that we're talking about, it was only a shadow of the real thing that was going to come, which was Christ. For this reason, it, the system of sacrificing these animals, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. We must go to God with no defect because God is absolutely perfect. And what we're being told is that these animals didn't get the job done. But, verse uh, 12 or 2, uh, if it 
If it could, if these animals could, the system of sacrifice, if it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. Verse 3, but those sacrifices of the animals were only an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. This is why when John the Baptist laid his eyes on Christ, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now let's have a worship service. And if it doesn't excite you, I promise you, you haven't come fully to grips with the great dilemma. Because once you come to grips with the great dilemma, you can't help but thanking God from the depths of your hearts for this brilliant solution. The very next verse, therefore, it's the small words in the Bible that are amazing. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away our sins. Therefore, now watch this. Are you ready? Get ready. Amp it up. Put it in fifth gear. Watch this. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said to the Father, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me that will go through a virgin. You prepared a body for me that will be fully human, but without any defect. That is brilliant. A body you've prepared for me. Father, with burnt offerings, Jesus is praying. Just think about that day. Watch. Father, with burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said to the Father, Christ said to the Father, Here I am. Send me, because I will be the only one to save the earth. If today you're sitting there thinking, I, I'm not sure that I, I have Christ in my life. It is Christ who says the same words to you. Here I am. I am your solution. It is not spiritual arrogance to say that Christ is the only way. It's spiritual ignorance to say that he's not. There is no other, no other religious leader in full respect to other religions. There is no other religion, there's no other religious leader who had the capacity to be born outside the blood of Adam, who could step up to the plate and say, here I am, I am not a savior, but the savior of the world. The question is, Is he your savior? That's the real question. There's a great dilemma for the human race, but there's a great dilemma in your own personal life. If you haven't come to terms with that gap between you and God. That's why in in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we end today, these words hopefully will ring through your heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. God made him, Christ, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen carefully. There is one way and one way only to find peace with God. To close the gap. And that is Jesus Christ. And it's not enough to intellectually see that. The Bible is very clear that if we confess with our mouth 
and believe in our heart that Christ is who he said he is, the Lord, the Savior of this world, then we will be saved. What I mean by that is that it's not just enough to believe in your mind. The Bible says to believe in your heart. How do you believe in your heart? We begin with confession. God, I'm in the sea of sin. I'm in the great dilemma, God. I, I, I need a Savior. I confess that to you. And I believe in my heart with everything in me that I need you as my Savior personally. I need you to cover all my sins, to forgive my sins. And I want to paint that blood, the blood of Christ, on the doorframe of my heart. And I want you to come in and change my life. This is the approach that God has made for us. If you've come searching for God today, would you open your heart to God? Would you confess to him that you are a sinner, that you are in need of his forgiveness? And that believe in his heart that Christ, believe in your heart that Christ is the savior of the world and say, God, you've revealed to me the great solution to the great dilemma. For those of you that are believers, would you join me in praying today as we pray for those who are on this search and this journey? Father, how stirred, stirring it is to see the great solution to the great dilemma. It's not a moderate dilemma, God. It's a severe one. The consequences are eternal. The consequences, God, are unfathomable to our human minds. And for that reason, with great passion, God, with great urgency, God, with great love, we pray for those who today are searching for God, who have, who perhaps have built walls, but we know you can penetrate. Perhaps they, who think they're good enough or perhaps not good enough. That today you've answered all those questions that none of us can be good enough, God. So today I, we pray together with, with as much passion as we can for those sitting right here with us who are searching just like we did in one chapter of our lives. Father, we pray, God, for your Holy Spirit now to move. And for those who are, are here who are searching, that if you want to bridge that gap, your prayer would go something like this in your own version. God, I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I also confess to you, God, that I am in need of a Savior. And today I see that Jesus Christ was the solution to this dilemma of sin. And I wholeheartedly, from my heart, God, not just my mind, from my heart, I accept you. I embrace you into my life for the forgiveness of all my sins and for a place in eternity with you. Take my life, God. It is yours. Father, we pray for those who have 
made that their prayer this morning. God, we pray for those who are followers, for us who are followers, God. May we never stop getting stirred. May we feel the urgency of the time on our runway. And may we clearly be able to articulate through your spirit the profound beauty and the brilliance, God, of Christ, the only Savior of this world. We pray it in his name. Amen.